0: Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I caught up with Todd Hubers from Dull, and we talked through traditional perimeter security versus what is perimeterless security and the importance of it. We discussed the new way of working from anywhere and how security needs to be analysed through a slightly different lens. Todd went into depth about people's apprehension to adopt and change from the way they've always done things, but sheds a new approach as to why we need to all pay attention. If you're keen to learn more about Todd and his opinions, then please keep on listening. So, Todd, thank you so much for joining my podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you as an individual, but also as a cybersecurity professional in the industry. And one thing that's really interested me about what you do and what your company Dell does is more on the criminalist security side of things because I think it's something that's becoming definitely more of a ubiquitous topic in terms of people now moving from being in their offices and having this on-prem model more to working remotely. So it's something that I'm definitely interested in talking with you today. But before we get into the specifics of things, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So talk to me about where you started to where you are now.
1: Yeah, okay. I'm a software coder, I guess you could say. I've been coding since I was seven. And um, yeah, through my business building software, I've been tinkering with different software prototypes. I've come across uh, various different issues along the way. And uh, as a result, ventured quite far from that comfortable world of what people know as virtual private networking. Mm -hmm. And I found myself discovering a a very different approach to secure networking and coming up with new terms for things and naming new things and realizing Mm -hmm. there's a bigger world out there. Yeah. So from that, building up this new software, a new platform that we're now commercializing
0: so when you said before that you were looking at various issues so one of the things that i've noticed especially in the startup space is a lot of people build technology or they build software and then try to fill a problem whereas yeah. i'm sort of from what you're saying i'm hearing it more so that you saw a problem and then it's like cool i can solve that is that what your mindset was initially
1: yeah it was like a, we're solving it for ourselves and i think that's a nice mm-hmm. way to do things is to fix things for yourselves we use quite a few different tools that we now call a kind of micro network um Mm -hmm. so our micro networking is very particular but we really wanted to these days distance ourselves from what people think of as vpns so something like Mm -hmm. TeamViewer, for example is a micro network it doesn't use or at least as far as we can tell doesn't use open vpn under the hood there's a different architecture to it and there's advantages to that but that's proprietary and so we use many others like neo router and uh, even open VPN and other types of VPNs, and for those ones that were micro networks, well, they were mm-hmm. proprietary and limited, and we had to use them in the way that they were built. You know, TeamViewer, you can really only use their micro network for um, remote desktop, for example. They do have a few other add-ons, of course, around that trimmings, but the main experience mm-hmm. is that you don't, you can't do general networking. On the other hand, a, a VPN system, you can, you can do all that. Um, all that packet networking but you don't get mm-hmm. that same um, flexibility and experience as you would with the micro network so we've, we've basically gone about in the end trying to build and it was actually my intention when i built it to build a micro networking system that anyone could use um, and that could be open and that uh, could be used for any number of reasons and made open source so yeah
0: So let's talk through traditional perimeter security. Now, I have worked in large corporates myself in security, but now the shift in the market is really going from this whole, and I think COVID was probably the catalyst to that, and you'd you'd agree on that. People are now working from, not even from home, but it's this whole anywhere approach. So can you paint a high-level picture of what that looks like to the traditional model?
1: a lot of these terms that are out there like zero trust and perimeter there. Mm-hmm. They're very uh, malleable at the moment. I think they're, they're fairly new mm-hmm. and different people mean different things about them. And I think a good example mm-hmm. is um, if you go out to a coffee shop, you leave your premises. When you have your 4G internet, you've got your laptop, have some coffee, you want to do a bit of work in the cafe, get a bit of ambience, soak it in. And what you'll find is that pretty much all solutions will want you to connect back into the VPN where all the security is all enforced inside. So it's very much bound to the hardware of your office in a sense. That's sort of a, a picture I like to paint. Mm-hmm. And in a word, I'd say gateways. There are, there are these transition points inside and to go from outside to inside, These gateways are very important in that kind of a world. I'd dare to say that even for a few providers that say they're perimeterless, I think they're thinking more about the control perspective of it, you know, how it gets managed. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's still implemented with actual gateways that have actual perimeters. And you'll have um, segmentation, of course, which are just smaller perimeters. And they're going towards micro segmentation. So that's how I see perimeter security.
0: Let's now flip it on its head and talk about perimeterless security. So mm, I want to yeah. get a understanding from you on what you mean when you say that, like your interpretation of it, as I yeah. want people to really understand this concept.
1: Yeah. So from what I said before about how I see perimeter security being confined, that's with the hardware and the gateways. So I see true perimeterless security at the network level, not just the management level, but at the network level, no more dependence on gateways and hardware. There's mm-hmm. even, of course, a term software-defined networking. You'll find that the software-defined part isn't actually in a network layer. It's only in a control layer. There are different software functions running on network hardware. Don't get me a wrong. There's definitely a, an extent of software at that level. But what we're talking about is software-defined even at the network level where on your computer you're running the software. And all the network in between is really just helping to move information and data around, but not to secure it. So, by securing it right at the endpoint. So, that's in that regard, there's no perimeter, then it's Mm -hmm. secured at each of what are called endpoints. That means that same person you go to get your coffee and you go to uh, access a cloud service for your organization, well, you know, you've got an internet connection from your laptop directly to that cloud service that's secured from a microtunnel. And we'll probably talk about that a bit later, but um, the microtunnel is a direct connection that's coordinated from the control layer. So it's managed, it's set up. You can do it on your machine. Um, There's the encryption and there's no gateways required.
0: So, when you said earlier, no more hardware, no more gateways, do you think just saying that that phrase or that statement would really start stressing people out? And I ask this because when you talk about cloud adoption, that still stresses people out.
1: Um, well, it's change. I think change always freaks people out. I mean, change even scares <laughs> technology people, really. Um, mm-hmm. We're always bringing change, but try to change someone's uh, software development tools, for example, and they'll complain. You want to do work and get things done and not have to retrain just for something that's going to be slightly better. But what we're talking about here is a fundamental improvement over mm-hmm. and above everything. Like if you have a, a router and you want to have a, a port forward through that router so that communication can be direct and low latency, well, good luck getting the network engineers to agree to that. How are they going to track it? And that's it. That shows that the hardware right there is a limitation, and that that is creating the perimeter that is actually the thing that inflects and starts to inform how you should be doing business and how you should be building your technology and your security. It's being dictated to you the fact that you have these hardware based aggregation points, if you mm-hmm. think of it from a very high conceptual level, aggregation points. Um, that are also enforcing your security when they should really just be there for the the practical side of delivering packets efficiently and uh, reliably, low latency, all that kind of stuff. That really is what it should all be about. And that's what changes with, with micro networking. You get that perimeterless network capability, that capability you didn't have before, you now have. You can actually follow your intentions a lot more closely and have the full visibility of how they're deployed and how they're working uh, in a central place. Uh, instead of, you know, configuring a port forward rule over here in, in isolation and opening up a firewall on the machine somewhere else in isolation, you know, it's all shadow IT. Mm-hmm. This means it's all visible and in control and, again, enabled. So the management and the risks around all of that go way down. And so you get a lot more innovation and productivity as a result.
0: Mm-hmm. Now because of this whole pandemic as we we're talking about earlier it sort of ushered people into this new way of operating and a new way of looking at security. So do you think that the whole paradigm will just shift completely now moving forward?
1: Yeah, well in terms of the the practicalities of working from home I think you know independent of security it seems seems that it'll be become more acceptable and more routine but uh, it's it's really with the pandemic something that was you know, really unusual, really. So that, that shift's already happened. The lens has already changed. Mm. Yep. And um, so organizations are already looking at things differently and they're seeing their security in a different light. And it's amplified shortcomings, it's highlighted inflexibilities. There's lots of different options out there to lots of different niche problems as well. We're certainly going to be strong contenders in that race, expanding our product suite accordingly as well.
0: Okay so how does the technology that you developed to adjust to this sort of shifting paradigm that we're seeing now
1: well whereas there was you know an acknowledgement of shortcomings and inflexibility Dell mm-hmm. brings simplicity and that flexibility to what is a rapidly changing world so with technician teams those that do tech support inside the organization and even contractors have been thrown out of the building, basically, I think a lot of them used to support systems from home. A sort of thing was happening. But there is a real difference between the kind of tools that a technician needs compared to the general remote access that's sanctioned by the organization for everyone. And uh, that's a real highlight there of the inflexibility. You know, a technician would like to run some SQL statements. They'd like to type a lot change your SQL around, maybe even write a script to fix something or to check something, doing that over a remote desktop is quite hard to do. The feedback, and the latency becomes a lot more apparent um, when you're working from home. Maybe that thin client model worked okay on a local area network. When you've got all sorts of internet connections and the latency goes up, that feedback that you normally get from typing, yeah, that, that becomes that much more frustrating, especially for someone who types quite fast. And I think generally... Technical people would. But then the actual Mm -hmm. tools that they use, that SQL tool, for example, is not normally installed for all staff. So, what you'll find is they have jump computers. They land on a normal desktop and then they use a remote desktop session from there to go to another machine that might be their own PC in the office and that has the tools on it. So, with our technology, you can actually just have the tools on your desktop in your house and those tools Mm -hmm. can connect. Directly to the remote server. So in that case, uh, a database server. And so you get that full flexibility and a full performance then around that kind of activity. And if you're a technician, you need to be working efficient. You've got a lot of things you want to do, and you're working with a lot of Mm. different inputs and outputs. You've got to pass information on, and you've got to uh, synthesize a lot of information. You really want to be able to stay on task um, consistently and with minimum interruption from latency is really important to, to get there. And you know you can end up making mistakes, all sorts of problems can emerge when you don't have the right tools, you don't have access to the right information, you don't have the, the right speed at which you want to work in. Perhaps you want to be notified when a process is completed, for example, how do you do that through a remote desktop?
0: So latency interruption, would you say at the moment because of how things are, like that's quite like a, a big problem?
1: Yeah, I think, well, it was always an issue. I think that the difference between staff and technology people has mm-hmm. never really been focused on because the bulk of the people who are going to be using your remote access systems are going to be just general staff doing their job that is mm-hmm. customer-facing and a lot of the time your technical people are not really Customer-facing as well. So, who are you thinking about? Yes. And talking where the the money that that's budgeted to pay for these things comes from the front line, you know. And I think the, mm-hmm. the technicians themselves are possibly an afterthought, and um, they end up doing all sorts of workarounds to get the tools mm-hmm. they need, and they end up creating backdoors into the network that are encrypted, but they're not really documented that they're there, and maybe they're implicitly approved, but where's the evidence of that conversation that does become worse when people are forced to work from home. Whereas maybe you would have thought, well, I'll do that complicated thing when I'm in the office tomorrow. You're thinking to yourself, well, I might not get into the office for another month. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to sort of set myself up here, get these tools working really well because I'm going to have to bunker down and, and get a lot of work done from home and, and, and make that more and more efficient for myself. So who knows, we might um, find that a lot more of these back doors have been created as a result of this pandemic.
0: So what I'm hearing is basically what you're saying is had these problems, now the whole pandemic's there and they're creating more back doors because they've got to work around because there's no money to actually fund better tooling and so forth, which then creates a security problem. Is that sort of what I'm hearing from what you're saying?
1: Yeah, well, I think the money isn't really about the enough funding. I think people like to have one sanctioned mm. single system is the problem. And that system that they sanction doesn't do everything that everyone wants. But the money, where that's being sponsored from, is really what guides the decisions, what I was saying there. So that's going to say, well, for all staff, we need something to give us a remote access, thin client kind of experience. Which, by the way, is absolutely right i'd say for most staff you don't want you want them to be seeing pixels you don't want data to be landing on their desktop and potentially maybe it's easier to download things that way perhaps i'm not sure but i think that's what's in their mm-hmm. mind is all about preventing data theft or exfiltration of data from the organization so a solution that allows that to happen that to continue while also mm-hmm. allowing the access tools to work very well and to work naturally and to have all of that access tracked, logged and monitored in one place. There's a great advantage to having that, of course. So we've enabled a lot more to happen with this technology. It's a lot more flexible so that Mm -hmm. these things that come up as a solution for it. There are other solutions, of course, that I have in mind that sort of go beyond the context of the pandemic, which would explain the flexibility some more, but just thinking about the pandemic I would say that's probably what's most relevant.
0: So that's interesting because even in my own experience, so I like what you said, the bigger the friction, the bigger the problem. So uh, one of the things I remember in my experience of working in large corporate, there was the marketing team and they were leveraging an agency and then just decided to just start sharing files through Dropbox, which effectively is not part of what, was in our um, policies, Yeah, found out about it, and then uh, obviously then, you know, they explained why they needed it and whatever else. There were controls that were then put around that. But it's just more about the line of questioning because as a security professional, it's like, yeah, we want to lock all of this down, but then you sort of then – have problems with innovation, or it's not as easy to do things because it's so locked down. And then I think it's almost kind of like we shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit because we're trying to do the right thing by making it secure, but then we make it so hard for anyone to do anything. And yeah. then they ended up doing their own thing anyway.
1: It's in nature. You, you find it everywhere in nature. Nature always tries to find the lowest energy state. You find it in chemistry. You find it in a lot of a lot of um, sciences. Humans are the same though. They want to find the easiest way yeah. and that's not their fault. <laughs> we all want to be efficient. And um, I think the issue here is that technology gets in the way. So inflexible technology mm. says you must do it this way. And technology is this thing. Software is this thing that can be anything, right? It's not a physical manifestation that has physical limits. So when you lock it down, you can lock it down, but you need to lock it down with flexibility for exceptions. Because exceptions come up in everything. <laughs> um, yes. So that's that's the issue, and that's why flexibility is so important. It's every time I say it, I feel like I don't think people understand how important that is. You know, <laughs> because you, know, you can hear these different terms in different areas of software all the time, but the level of flexibility that we've brought is it's not complex. I think that's probably an issue. Maybe sometimes people think, oh yeah, there's a lot of flexibility, but that means it's going to be a lot more complicated. But um, yeah, what we've managed mm-hmm. to do is make, make that very simple and visible to every staff member in an organization. They can use it themselves. You know, I, I believe it shouldn't be the IT department managing security. Like it's not, They're not accountable to the contracts they've signed. It's the managers mm-hmm. who are. And if we make it simple enough and the flexibility to just grant access to different people required at different times, then uh, technology can get way out of the way. You won't have these issues with what you're saying, you know, with having a very particular narrow-minded approach to things that doesn't have the flexibility for exceptions.
0: So then it's kind of that middle ground on how do we actually find that then as an industry because you've, you've either got something that's so locked down you can't do anything with it. Or you've got stuff that then is there's so many back doors and people doing whatever they want, type of thing. So it's sort of that middle ground yep. that we're trying to find as an industry. I don't think we've quite gotten there yet. Yep. Um, but yeah, really curious to hear your thoughts on that, if you, if you have any.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say the middle ground because we actually see ourselves taking responsibility in between software engineers and network engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, so this technology, it's like those two things sort of were interfacing with each other. There was a trade off always between those two realms of who would take care of that. So software would take care of authentication and authorization and it would do logging of things that are happening on servers and um, that kind of thing. It would would implement some encryption. So often that's HTTPS, of course. You Mm -hmm. try to now do more than that. You try to access that outside of the enterprise. Well, that's where the networking people have to get involved in security and they're doing the VPN. Mm -hmm. So who's really in charge of or what, what layer is in charge of security? Well, a bit of both. And whereas the software guys, as you're saying, should be focusing on the software and what's being added to the domain, what's being added to the business, what's being improved. And the networking side, they ideally would only have to focus on efficiently delivering packets and adding more redundant paths for that to happen. Um, so they get more liability and maybe deploying IPv6, things like that. Instead, the, in the network people are going bananas, of course, over software-defined networking and segmenting the network more and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, the application people are being told, heck, you've got all these big flaws in your middleware, this custom code you're building to enforce security. Um, you know, There's all sorts of known vulnerabilities there. And what we're saying is, well, Micronetworking actually can take care of all that in the middle. And uh, if I go back to the networking example, obviously helping to connect organizations seamlessly and remotely. I haven't talked about it yet, but there's even integration between organizations that can happen with um, micronetworking. at the application level, you know the, the security and author, authorization can actually be handled also by micronetworking and the applications are just the endpoints they're just you know this is what we're going to get done and you, you think about when i was talking about before about these hidden backdoor mechanisms well even mm. with software each software has different mechanism for authentication it has their own sometimes their own database of users and you know it's it's this hidden thing that you can go through the documentation to get to build that picture but you, you have to do that manually um, mm. whereas with uh, micro networking we can deploy the protection around those endpoints and you get a nice central view of that. And if you wanted to upgrade how that worked, you know, change from a particular identity provider to another, that'll just happen centrally. You don't have to upgrade the software. At the networking level, same thing. Upgrade your switches, upgrade your routers, it's not going to impact your security. In mm-hmm. fact, all that smart hardware you've had for a while probably probably doesn't have as much shine to it as, as it did before because those smart functions were overwhelmingly being focused towards solving security challenges. Mm-hmm. So I guess it can become a little bit less exciting for, <laughs> for those people. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there's so much more work they could be doing. And um, I think organizations want to be in control of their security and, and not sort of uh, have all these different silos bring across their organization's infrastructure.
0: So one of the things I'd like to sort of talk to you about now, because we are in this different world, this work from anywhere type of approach that's effectively going to stay because people have operated remotely and from home for a long time now, people will probably want to work like that. What are some of your concerns, though, moving forward because people are predominantly not going to be in the office? What does that actually mean?
1: Um, Well... First of all it'd be interesting to see what actually happens i mean that's sort of the commentary but you know once people are allowed back into the office it'll be it'll be really interesting to see it's going to be the world's first social experiment i think to see what happens whether people do continue working from home or whether they do snap back to that office environment either way it's going to be a long time before that sort of settles down and presumably you are going to have a lot more people working from home i think the home environment Generally, security people are still not going to want people to work from home if they don't have to. I think that's Mm -hmm. a reality. Find yourself working in really sensitive environments. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't even use your own laptop. You know, BYOD is not an option, and that's always going to be that pressure. You know, companies are always going to, you know, at the board level, it's all about risk. They're always going to be saying, "How do we reduce the risk?" And that's going Mm -hmm. to be come into the office. We're in inside our walls, (laughs) on our land and um so i think i think it's important to sort of we don't know so we have to sort of have a model around that i guess in in terms of what we expect at the future but it's not going to have those exceptions you're going to have that person that isn't working on that critical project that's working from home for example maybe they they help with zero accounting for a smaller organisation or you know there's all sorts of exceptions there's going to be people who are on call 24/7 and of course they're going to be at home sometimes And uh, it's for that reason that we are focusing ourselves mainly on those exceptions. We're focusing on technician access, for example, and not at the moment being too concerned about general staff access.
0: Yes, of course. And I think that because people are now not commuting into the city, especially if you live in places like Melbourne and Sydney, some people have up to an hour commute each way, which is substantially a lot of time per day that they're traveling. Um, so that they, they, there could be even sort of co-working spaces like you were saying that are sort of popping up in uh, further out sort of suburbs so people yep. can sort of not fully go to the office but they can sort of meet them halfway, which is that middle ground that we're sort of talking about.
1: Yeah, and the mingling opportunities are amazing. Like you're going to find people that are local to you in terms of colleagues or building friendships that are mm-hmm. sometimes more awkward within an organisation. You're also going to have opportunities to... Network yeah, with other people more organically. These these were all the sales points for when I had a co-working space. Um, you talk about the trip, <laughs> the commute, the commute. That was that's 720 hours a year, by the way, and that's actually a full mm, calendar that's month. Nuts. That's a full calendar month. That's uh, actually 20. You know, it's 24 hours in a day. That's not the work. That's not the business hours of the month. That's a full month in travel. Now people sleep. Stresses me out. They sleep on the train. Mm-hmm. They they read a book on the train. But you know what? It's actually better to to read that book. You know, in your backyard or sleep in your bed, I think. <laughs> so it, it can work. Oh, people people put up with it. So uh, yeah, but co-working spaces could definitely make a comeback. They've had limited success. I know in, in Geelong, seem to have better success in capital cities. Um, so yeah, we'll see where it lands, I'd say.
0: So to sort of wrap this whole interview up, what I'd like to really talk about now is so when we're looking at the way in which security is currently employed, a huge sort of range of products uh, that are that are different, different but often conflicting vendors, is this complexity necessary? If you look at sort of a, um, I don't know if you've seen those um, those matrices of each individual area in security and all the vendors that are sort of like in that one area, and there's so many of them, what are your sort of thoughts on that?
1: There's actually an underlying software architecture question around that, which I'll put to mm-hmm. the side, which I've got opinions on, but sort of sticking to the very high level, the first major cyber threats that have only happened recently. So yes, I know cybersecurity has been an issue for a lot longer, but the industry is really young and yet to mature. To be really like 4G internet. We had 3G, we had 2G, but 4G was really where, you know, mobile internet really became a thing. And and this is the cybersecurity. It's now becoming a thing, and it's still yet to mature. Dell has the advantage of starting with a, a fresh slate. Others yeah. have been reactionary, and you know, there's been apparently a, an undersupply of you know the best talent to be able to deploy these different products and work all this out on a case by case basis with each business. But unlike a reactionary, we've uh, started with fundamental new technology and. You know, a new discovery. we are founded upon that, and we're building that out. And uh, yeah, we have the capability to build out a cohesive single platform uh, and an ecosystem that can include lots of different vendors with a common way to work with each other. And and you'd actually do that fundamentally per realm, by the way. Not not necessarily have lots of providers within one round. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that technology, you can can actually protect computers that have software vulnerabilities with a microtunnel and filter out the network traffic instead of patching an old system, for example. So many new things we can do with this technology. And we can actually block email attachments and all that sort of stuff. You can do that through microtunnels. We're starting in a a blue ocean. There are unique and significant problems with technician access. And also we haven't spoken about it, but database integration. And uh, there's so much more scope with where we will be able to go build out this platform to solve more and more problems in one place.
0: Okay, well, Todd, I've absolutely enjoyed our conversation. You've definitely highlighted some some areas, even for myself, that um, I'm definitely going to be thinking about over the next few days. But if people have a question that perhaps I didn't ask you today, how can they go about reaching out to you?
1: Well, oh, they can reach me personally on LinkedIn. It seems to be the way of the future. Um, otherwise, head to our website and uh, there's a chat pop-up that will uh, hit our sales team and also inquiry forms and we'll be able to follow you up
0: awesome well i really appreciate the time and thanks very much for coming on the show
1: yeah thanks for having me it was a pleasure
0: thanks for tuning in as always we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode and remember you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out KarissaBreenIndustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.